0: that there's a fundamental belief that we all carry. And I often refer to it as up and to the right. We all believe that our life is supposed to progress up and to the right. So back there you are in high school. I'm gonna be professional pianist, professional cyclist, professional photographer. There's an implicit, and if I follow these steps, ding, 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 it's good. But what I actually heard in your recounting of your story was something much more powerful and something much more organic and therefore unpredictable, Mm -hmm. right? When you were graduating high school, when you went to Stanford, it wasn't with the intention of becoming a filmmaker working on documentary films speaking about impactful issues. I heard you opening yourself. I heard you having the, the capacity... To withstand not knowing Mm -hmm. what step, to be able to say, I'm going to find the mentors, which is really an important thing. The people who are going to help me navigate this twisty, windy path to landing in a place where
1: I get to live out my purpose. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. We are so glad you're here. We are approaching our fifth year here at Reboot. We have been resurfacing episodes that we feel are particularly relevant for the time, either for where we are as a company or where things are in the world, and just episodes that we feel like were powerful and helpful and want to make sure folks either get to hear for the first time or to get to hear again and see if new ideas emerge. It felt appropriate to bring back to you this episode with Jeff Orlowski, who's best known for his critically acclaimed documentary films, Chasing Coral and Chasing Ice. I wanted to bring this conversation back because it touches on purpose and the importance of purpose and the source of purpose. So we hope that either on your first listen, perhaps your second, you'll find new ideas in this conversation with Jeff Orlowski. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. I'm Dan Putt. I've been thinking a lot about my mom at the end of her life. It's crazy that it will be 12 years since she passed on December 18th. One of the things that she always had to do, even when she was very sick and could barely stand, was to do a daily walk in the woods. And at one point on our walk, there was a small bridge that would cross a small creek. And she'd always have to stop at the top of the bridge and look for turtles. Here were these little creatures, often motionless and stuck in the mud, that most people simply walked by or ignored. But for her, they meant so much more. They brought her tremendous joy and somehow connected her to the world and to life in a greater way. There was so much more there, and I'll never forget the look on her face as she looked and scanned across the water for the turtles. She saw energy. She saw life. She felt aliveness in seeing those turtles. Many years later, I'd find myself on Jerry's coaching couch, feeling depressed and overwhelmed and lost, frankly. After my mom had passed, I'd taken on the burden of finding my purpose, my true reason for being on this planet, this grand, well-thought-out, complicated, and perfectly designed thing for me. And I felt like I was wasting precious time having not found it. But Jerry would stop my spiraling. He'd make me take a breath, think back to that little bridge and the walks with my mom. Go. Look for the turtles, he'd remind me. I think for some, the idea of pursuing your purpose feels like this luxury that you don't have time for. While others, it feels like this thing that has to be perfectly designed and laid out. I fall in that second category. I think I got stuck in this idea that I had to design the map to my purpose and then pursue it. But I've come to see things totally different. The path to purpose isn't at the end of a perfectly designed map. It's often found in the little bridges covering the little creeks and the little parks where the turtles live. And it's the little things that others may totally ignore or not see. But for you, they energize you, excite you, and connect you to life in a larger way. The path to purpose is not some grand designed plan. The path to purpose starts following the aliveness, those things that ignite your energy, your interest, your passion, and your joy. The turtles led me to hear. Jeff Rolowski has followed the aliveness in his own life. As a Stanford grad on the engineering path, he found he was most energized, most driven, when he was bringing all of himself, his ability to inspire, to tell stories, and even his engineering sense to his work. Ultimately, his own version of Finding the Turtles has led him to a place of educating and inspiring others through incredibly powerful Emmy award-winning films such as Chasing Ice, and Chasing Coral. He was recently awarded the Champions of the Earth Award, the highest environmental honor for his work in spreading powerful environmental messages. His passion and his purpose are having a major impact. In this conversation with Jerry, Jerry and Jeff explore his twisty, windy journey to doing his purpose work, how and why one should seek and follow the aliveness and the power that can be unleashed from that journey. Finding the turtle in our lives, the things that make us feel alive, allow our purpose to emerge. As Jeff says in this conversation, purpose finds you when you're open and you're ready for it. Enjoy. Hi, this is
0: Jerry Colonna. Thanks for listening. Check out my forthcoming book, available in June, Reboot, Leadership and the Art of Growing Up. I'll admit I'm excited and terrified at the idea of you reading my work. Hey, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the show. And
2: Absolutely. Thank uh, you, Jerry.
0: Let's take a minute, and if you could just introduce yourself, that that would be really yeah. helpful.
2: Yeah, um, my name is Jeff Orlowski. Uh, I'm a filmmaker. I live here in Boulder, and I've been here for about the last 10 years or so. I, I grew up doing a lot of photography, and in college I started shifting over into cinematography and then filmmaking, and um, have ended up on this path of doing films for impact. Um, and it was not a path that I ever could have anticipated, but it's one that I'm beyond thrilled by.
0: <laughs> well, I, I'm beyond thrilled having you on the, on the show, and I'll explain that uh, you're not the typical entrepreneur. Um,
2: Is there a typical entrepreneur?
0: Oh, that's a great question. Let's circle back to that question because that's a great question. Um, In the sense that uh, typically we would have like a venture back startup
2: or something like that. Yeah. But... To your point... Filmmaking is still basically a venture-backed startup. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's just <laughs> through a different model. It's not, it doesn't, and especially documentary filmmaking, doesn't typically have the potential for return that a tech startup might. Right. You have a lot of hard physical costs and a lot of travel and unknowns in the artistic product that you're making, and you have no real sense of, um, you try, but you don't really know what the market and sales opportunity of a film might be when you're developing it. But film filmmaking is, um, it very much is serial entrepreneurship. Every new film you make is a new startup, new research, new project, new vision, new team, new funders, new sales, new distribution, mm. all of it. And figuring out how to do that over and over and over successfully, it's, it is a challenge. Uh,
0: you know, uh, we've had uh, uh, a variety of folks on the show um, one that pops into mind is Ben Saunders, who is a polar explorer, um, is a longtime client of mine. And he spoke about his experience of he and his partner, Tarker, traveling unsupported from mm-hmm. the edge of Antarctica yeah. to the South Pole and back. Mm-hmm. He's actually out on the ice again right now, yeah. solo this time. Yeah. Traveling and trying to complete a journey that a friend of his tried a few years ago and died on. Yeah. And uh, the, the correlation with the experience of being an entrepreneur was there again. Right. He had the exact same right. response. Right. I have to go funding. I have to have a vision. Mm-hmm. And every single expedition was a startup. Absolutely. So okay. I am totally in sync there. And I'm excited yeah. because to, to sort of uh, give a little context and background on this, uh, my co-founder and partner and I were watching Chasing Coral which is one of your films, Mm -hmm. and it's an extraordinary film. Thank you. And, geez, I'm going to start to cry already. Um, It's the kind of film that uh, helps you viscerally experience what climate change is actually Mm -hmm. doing to the world. Yeah, that's the hope. And and I'm struck immediately by not only your description of you as a... um, as an entrepreneur. But I want to take you back a little bit to some of the language you used. If I'm remembering correctly, you said, I am a filmmaker. I just want you to land on that one. How does that feel when you say that?
2: I actually think of myself as a problem solver, more first and foremost. Um, Filmmaker is an easier way to describe what I've been doing more recently. Mm -hmm. But um, I Filmmaking, we live in a society that's based and formed and shaped by ideas. Mm. And the way we think about the world mm. is a construct of people putting their ideas out into the world. Whether that is um, what that is the science behind climate change or the concept of, quote, make America great again, or what have you. This is all just means of communication. Mm. and And for me while when trying to look at these problems that we're facing, Mm -hmm. um, I've fallen on film as a tool, both artistic and creative, but also practical and economical. Um, And it's a way to get stories out into the world that, that I have found or our team has found or things that are interesting or or truths that we've discovered in other parts of the world that we can use film as a medium to capture that and to share that with the world. That's really with with our two biggest films, Chasing Ice and Chasing Coral, that has been the the consistent theme mm. of finding hidden stories that are true, that are visceral, that are visual, that we can then capture and share back with the world. We, it is sort of that golden fleece that you're going out in pursuit of and being able to capture. Um, so filmmaking, for me, more so than writing or photography or other arts, filmmaking is an art that allows you to combine all of those skills. It's it's writing and imagery and music and emotions and time. And, and it's something that's scalable more so than theater. Um, and you can use film as a medium to get ideas out there in a really, really wide way. So I've fallen in love with film as a medium because of that. But it is, that's just a subsection of being a storyteller and a subsection of trying to solve problems. Um, but that, I don't know. That I, I have felt very comfortable with the, the notion of being a filmmaker lately. That does um, feel right to me. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I think it's in pursuit of a greater objective.
0: Well, and I think we often talk about common denominators, you know, as a means of, of finding bridging and connection, and the common denominator that I'm hearing, mm-hmm. um, in, in, you know, f- through through the lens of my experience, right? I am a I'm I'm a coach primarily to entrepreneurs, um, and we primarily support them in their um, existential challenges between what they would define as work and life.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: But the, but the real issue is how do we support them, in effect, in seeing the world's problems yeah. and leaning into trying to solve those?
2: Yeah. absolutely. B- because I
0: think that the, that the thing that the listeners in this podcast will really uh, relate to and the thing that I relate to as, another, as a fellow human to what you're saying is the world consists of a set of problems, in effect, that the world ha- is marked by those things, mm-hmm. Which challenges are you willing to lean your shoulder right. into? Right, and specifically, what medium are you choosing to do that? Is it a startup? Is it a one-on-one coaching session? Mm-hmm. Is it a film
2: yeah. that
0: causes a fifty-four-year-old man to break into tears?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Right, as as you did for me. <laughs> right, mm-hmm. and not only did you inform, but you moved my heart. Yeah which is arguably the greatest of all our tools, yeah, right? yeah. our means to shift the world.
2: Um, so, so many thoughts just in response to that. But um, there, there's this notion of, yes, there are problems out there, and that can sometimes overwhelm people with the scale of all of these problems that we're facing. Um, I think another way to think of it is these are all opportunities to make things better mm-hmm. at the same time and to not be overwhelmed by the scale and scope of the problems, but what can I do that makes a difference? Mm-hmm. And we, we do countless screenings where people say, what can I do? Right? And we screen e- either of these films and, and the immediate response from the audience is, oh, I didn't realize it was this bad, what can I do to make a difference? And it's like, I don't know who you are. I don't know what your <laughs> skills are. How am I supposed to tell you what you can do to make a difference? Yeah. Are you a lawyer? Are you a writer? Are you an artist? Are you an engineer? Like, right. how can you use your skills to do something? What what feels right and makes the most sense to you? Yeah. And this isn't something that... Oh there's one action, go change your light bulbs and problem solved. This yeah. is a massive societal level challenge that we're dealing with right now that requires a societal level change to solve. Right. and we can and we will. But it's not this notion of what can I do implies that one person can solve this. And that's not the case either. Like well, this. I, what I also hear because I'm a coach, right? I hear I listen for certain things. What I hear mm-hmm. is
0: them giving up their agency and asking mm-hmm.
2: you, yeah. To tell them what to do. Yeah, tell us what to do.
0: Right. And mm-hmm. I'll I'll often hear that from a coaching client who will say, Well, what should I do? Right. And, and yeah. you know, the, the, the truth of the matter is you, you lean your shoulder in, mm-hmm. you face the fear of being overwhelmed, mm-hmm. you face the reality that the thing that you do may not work. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean you don't do it anyway.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Right. Uh, there's a there's a writer, a Quaker writer that um, folks who listen to the show know that I, I adore. His name is Parker Palmer, yeah. um, and Parker has this notion he calls the tragic gap, mm. and the tragic gap is the place between the world we know is possible mm. and the world as it is. Yeah, and we are actually called to stand in the gap between those two places, mm. even though. Yeah. The world we know is possible may not be probable. Mm-hmm. It may not change in the way we believe it should be changed. Mm-hmm. But if we do not stand in that space, mm-hmm. we tip over either into what he calls corrosive cynicism, who the fuck cares, right. nothing I'm going to do, right. or irrelevant optimism,
2: mm-hmm.
0: irrelevant idealism, I think he calls it. Mm-hmm. And so in either case, we're actually out of the action. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so you may not save coral. You may not save ice. I mean, another chunk Mm -hmm. of Antarctica Mm -hmm. broke off today. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) What the fuck? Okay? It's only the size of Delaware, right? right? We may not save, but I'll be damned if I go down without a fight.
2: Exactly. It is that, um, uh, so I was... Something you were saying earlier, I was thinking of Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, mm-hmm. and the uh, I remember reading it in high school or something. But the thing that stuck out the most to me was um, was the section about quality with a capital Q, mm. and this pursuit for quality. And if for no other reason, just for your own values and your own like knowledge that you are pursuing doing things well, mm-hmm. that was that was pretty profound on me. And, and along these same lines, it's like. How do we? How do we work in pursuit of making things better and feeling authentic and genuine with the work that we're doing, mm-hmm. and striving for quality? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just an interesting, interesting tie in there.
0: I, you know, I am I'm, I'm thinking back to something you said before. You said, and and forgive me because I'm not going to remember precisely the phrasing. So correct me, but and make films of impact. Did I say mm-hmm. that right?
2: Yeah. Um what is the phrase that you use? So uh my company is called Exposure Labs and our mission is to um to have impact through filmmaking, mm. through storytelling. Um you know, I think we've gone through countless iterations of what exactly is our like core mission and mm. and you know, phrase that we want to be using, but at its essence, at its spirit, it's um film is such a powerful medium for communication and it's a tool that can be used to show people what's happening in the world. Um, And our team just believes very firmly that we can use film and storytelling as a means for positive change and for positive impact. And so the projects we are taking on, we we look at ourselves as a film production company, Mm. but also as an impact production company. Mm. And we are handling... We're trying to do both making of films, but then also following through and using those films for impact as well. Mm-hmm. Um, this can take us down a rabbit hole of a conversation around the film industry and, and and challenges within the film industry itself. But in short, film distribution is another means of preaching to the same choir. Mm. This is my, my personal take on it in terms of... Um, you know, what kind of film do you want to go see and what kind of films are being advertised and marketed to you and what kind of films um, are are the things that are most readily, you know, what's the low-hanging fruit for people? If there's a film that might be political in nature that you might disagree with, you're probably not going to spend $15 to go see it in a movie theater. Right. And that advertising for that film might not be marketed towards you as well. The 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 marketing mindset is... Who's our target audience? Who's going to come into the theater and let's mm-hmm. market to them? Mm-hmm. And that has contributed in some way to this continuing bifurcation we have in our country that we're seeing really most explicitly online and via social media, mm-hmm. where there are filter bubbles that created and people exist within their own bubbles. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're trying to use the films to break beyond the bubbles. How do we bring, how do we create tools through film and how do we share stories that can engage people in conversation and 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 serve as the bridge to bring people together, particularly with our focus on climate right now. Mm. Um, so that's been what we've been trying to think through. Mm. Um, I have all respect and admiration for friends who work on narrative films or comedies or, you know, the, there are so many films that I personally just enjoy sitting back and mm-hmm. watching on a Friday night that can be a mental break or, or a relief or things like that. Um, but in terms of where I want to put my time, in terms of what I want to make, if I'm going to spend three years or five years on a project, which that's how long some of these projects take. and then And then what we've been doing lately with the impact campaigns continuing beyond that. I want to know that it's it's something that's really fulfilling and meaningful to me that's going to sustain me for multiple years on end. Um, and that's fortunately been the case with this work you know
0: i'm 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 really resonating with with uh, what you're saying now because I'm hearing a means and a methodology to purpose, hmm, yeah. um, which is such an elusive concept, and you know uh, people talk about trying to have work that has a sense of purpose, and I'm hearing this. And, you know, just before we went live with the recording, we were talking about mm-hmm. this sort of marrying of the right brain and yeah. the left
2: brain. Yeah, yeah,
0: And I hear that, too, yeah. even in your description. Because not to say that there's, you know, storytelling that is narrative storytelling is equally moving. I challenge anybody to read, you Absolutely. know, Gabriel Garcia Marquez yeah. and not right. have right. their worldview changed, Right, right. right? Pure narrative, magical realism, still. Yet, what I'm hearing is this um, focus on quality with Mm -hmm. an uppercase Q, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Or in my parlance, in my Buddhist lineage, we talk about a warrior stance.
2: Mm. And the
0: warrior stance is the strong back
2: Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. and open heart, soft, open Mm, heart.
2: I love it. Right?
0: And so the strong back is... If okay. I can want to fix we're,
2: my posture right now.
0: Right. <laughs> we're going to have a really successful film. We're going to distribute it well. We're going to have an impact campaign that goes beyond just yeah. inspiring people for a few minutes in the movie. There. Right. And we're going to pick things on a subject matter, mm-hmm. who, the content of which mm-hmm. maps to that soft heart. Yeah. Because, yep. for example, what I'm hearing is your wish to bridge... Those conversations to support those conversations, mm-hmm. because we how do we survive? How do we survive and alter the course of climate change if we're not
2: actually talking to each other? Right, absolutely. So, we're am I hearing you right? I, I loved your recap right there. Yeah, that's perfect. I've got like two or three different trains of thought based on that. Um, and we can take this wherever you'd like yeah, to go. Yeah. But but um, the left brain right brain stuff, and then also the soft heart and and coming to both of those. Yeah. those both of those places. Um, when I was in college, I I majored in anthropology, but it was in part a function of what I really wanted to study, which was a lot of different subjects. And I remember mm-hmm. after my freshman year, I took the course bulletin, and I had I'd asked all my friends who were upperclassmen, mm-hmm what classes should I take mm-hmm. and found like this list of the most interesting, insightful classes and everything that sounded interesting to me, I put on this huge spreadsheet mm-hmm. and, and I wanted to maximize for that list and I reverse engineered the major that would fit the maximization of that list. Brilliant. And and that's what ended up in anthropology. The major was something I was still very interested in and had curiosity of all the core requirements, mm-hmm. but it had great flexibility for me to take classes in photography and film and art and design design, but then also engineering, computer science and management sciences and engineering and Mm. business classes. I took a class on negotiation, took classes on like all sorts of stuff. You were just feeding. It was, it was, I loved Mm. it. Like it was so Mm. much fun. It was really like, Mm. it was this playground of opportunity to learn. Mm. And what, what else is college if not, if it like that's what it should be in my right. mind, right? right? So often it becomes, oh, I have to study this major so that I can get a job in this field, right. and that didn't resonate with me. It was really like I went to Stanford and I had this op- this massive opportunity from all these experts to just learn really awesome stuff, and it was such a stimulating environment. Um, so you you so, you did not give into the fear of quote, yeah, but I got to get a job. I I didn't, not at all. Did my, you have it? No, I don't ah, think I did. The parents did um, a good job. So well, yes and no. My mom really wanted me to be an engineer, and I will <laughs> to this day. Like she kept pushing me. My oh, mom well, was you Chinese. Went to I went to Stanford. Your my mom, mom was Chinese. Chinese. She wanted right. to be, a, be an engineer. And truth be told, like I really un- enjoy engineering. I really love building stuff. I think I would, would have been a fine right. engineer. I was interested in becoming an architect for a long time, um, and that would have been a fun pursuit. Um, my dad was a high school teacher and my Mm -hmm. dad was very proactive in encouraging both for my sister and I to follow, we we could do whatever we wanted to do, follow your passion. You could do whatever you want to do. Mm -hmm. And he kept opening the windows and pulling back the curtains around, like you can pursue whatever you want. And, um, and through that and through other life-shaping opportunities that I had when I was young, it, it, I really did feel privileged and open to pursue whatever I wanted. And I had enough success in those things that I dabbled in to have that reinforcement around, oh, well, I you know went down this path and this is working and somebody paid me to do that. That's an mm-hmm. option. And I can go down this path and somebody mm-hmm. paid me to do that. That's an option. Mm-hmm. Um I for a while I was building web websites like actual um, photo galleries for photographers at the birth of this was when I was in college, 2004 Five or six or so, and mm. and I knew a bunch of photographers that wanted websites, and I built a little side business doing that. I just built a bunch of small startups and mm. started a clothing company with some friends for a while. Started mm. all like we were starting with some friends uh, a new web search engine around news that mm. totally flopped. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were lots of things that we were we just sort of tested, and for me it was. What am I motivated by? What am, what what am I curious about? Mm. What is fulfilling to study and learn? Mm. Where is there an opportunity? Can we make some money off of it? Can and I don't know. For me, I think there were lots of passion. There were lots of curiosities that always came up, mm. and there was always something that I ended up spending my most time thinking about. Mm. There was something that always became the driving curiosity, and just lean into that. Like if you're if it keeps you up at night, and if you're thinking about it. Figure out what is the next step? What what do I need to learn? Is there a gap in my knowledge? Is there a gap in our team? Do I need to find somebody who can help move this to the next stage? Mm. Um, do I just need funding so I can dedicate more time to this or hire somebody to put more time into this? Mm. And that, that's been how I've approached projects, which has led, um, unintentionally, has led down a path of filmmaking. Mm. Um, so for me, I, um, as I said, I, I studied photography. My dad was a photographer. I grew up with a dark room in my house. Mm-hmm. I learned photography at a young age. Um, I remember there was one day in high school where where I was debating career paths and literally the three options at the time were professional photographer, professional cyclist, or professional pianist. Wow. And I remembered like in high school thinking through these options and I was thinking like, could I spend five or six hours a day playing the piano? Like, sounds more than I can tolerate and I I enjoy it and I love it, but that's more than I want. Could I spend, you know, several hours a day riding a bike? That sounds like at a certain point, physical torture Mm -hmm. going that far. That was like in the, in the cusp and birth of Lance Armstrong Mm -hmm. as a cyclist and and getting out there in a big way. Um, And then could I spend five or six hours a day taking photographs and traveling the world and going around and sign me up. (laughs) Like that sounded so amazing. And, and national geographic was the, the dream goal. That's what I wanted Mm. to do. And, um, and then from that pursuit Mm. um, of wanting to do photography and continue that, I ended up meeting photographers ended up having mentors as photographers, finding ways to get close to them and work with them. And I was, in some cases, I was helping them set up their computers as they transitioned into digital photography. Right. In some cases, building websites for them just to like help just them be and them. be close to them. How can I be close to these awesome experts that I was mm-hmm. admiring? And that ended up leading towards James Balog having a project where he wanted to go and document glaciers. Um, this was 2007. It was my senior year in college. Mm. And I had enough of the skills From growing up, spending a lot of time outdoors, doing Boy Scouts, Mm. feeling comfortable outdoors, um, knowing ropes and safety and rock climbing, which is another Mm. personal passion, knowing how to shoot video. And so I I offered a skill set to him of, I could go out in the field, I can shoot video for you, don't pay me anything, Mm. and I'll do everything you need and, and won't complain, and I'll be an asset to your team. And that was... My spring break from college in 2007 was going with James Baylog to Iceland for two weeks where I froze my butt off and, and learned how to be in the field for my first real big expedition. And right before graduation, he invited me to go to Greenland. And I ended up spending two weeks in Greenland, like the weeks right before my college graduation. We went to Alaska soon after. We went back to Greenland. We kept traveling and shooting and it was, it was honestly, it was like a year and a half of that, two years of that type of work, editing for him, doing post-production based Basically on what Basically doing anything he needed. Whatever he needed. Anything strong he needed. Strong back. I've got a strong need, back, right. uh, open heart. Right. Whatever you need, and I'll help you make mm-hmm. your work better. Mm-hmm. And I have something that I can add or figure out or learn and... That entire time I was, I knew how to edit in Final Cut, but I didn't know how to do some of the editing that he required. But at the same time, I didn't really know many people that knew that type of editing. Mm-hmm. So I learned, I just subscribed to lynda.com, learned how to do After Effects, learned how to do the more advanced editing mm-hmm. for post production in terms of how do we create really smooth, seamless time lapses that allow me to control a whole bunch of parameters and factors and, and learning um, a different level of, of editing techniques that make. Made the time lapses really, really smooth and seamless, mm. um, and kept editing for him. Kept making stuff, creating value for him. And then it was it was a year and a half into that process mm. where we finally agreed that we can go ahead and make a feature film out of it. That was never the plan at the beginning. The plan it's just was
0: documenting.
2: We knew he was doing something that was interesting. We knew this team was doing something that hadn't been done before and we needed to document it. Mm. And my role out in the field was as a field assistant, Mm. helping to install the cameras, but at the same time as a videographer shooting all of it. Mm. And it was a split role of documenting what he and our team were doing, as well as helping out and being part of the team. Um, And it it was well into that process before we said, you know what? We've got enough footage to actually make a feature film. And I hadn't done that before. I'd done a bunch of shorts, but never a feature. I didn't know what I didn't know. Were you scared at that moment? I was so excited at the notion of doing a feature that there was no fear in it for me. There were unknowns, but there were people who had done that. And we, we brought on more producers. We brought on more people who had done it before, um, two producers based here in Boulder, Paula Dupre Pessman Mm -hmm. and Jerry Aronson, both incredibly exceptionally talented, having done many, many films, narrative documentary, Mm -hmm. all across the board. I learned so, so much from both of them over years of Mm -hmm. working on that film. Mm -hmm. Um, they were mentors, they were family, they were friends. They were, um, it was beyond an advisor, (sighs) They, they were teachers in a way that it wasn't, that wasn't the explicit relationship that we had set up. Yeah. You know, they were on board with the project because of the vision of the project, but they taught me in countless ways, both professionally and personally, both how to be a better person and filmmaker and how to make your films better. Um, we brought on a great editor who had far more editing experience. We we just kept building a team out that believed in this vision. It goes back to that same entrepreneurial mindset of hire better than you. Find people who have the skills that you don't have. And that wasn't the explicit notion at the time. It was like, oh, we need somebody to edit. And I don't know how to do this that well. So who do we know that can edit really, really well? And our network kept introducing us to more and more people. And we we screened I was leading the edit for a while doing it all myself and spent two years editing by myself before we brought more talented editors on. And during that process, we kept screening it for other filmmakers to mm. give us feedback. Mm. Here's where it's at right now. What do you think? It was multiple years of artistic, just like a knife to the chest of artistic criticism, heavy, open Honest, artistic criticism of wanting to lean into where the problems are and how can we make it better. And and I know there are a lot of filmmakers – it's hard for filmmakers who put their vision into something and think this is the perfect thing. It's really hard to receive genuine criticism from people. But I'm not making the film for myself. I'm making the film for other people. I want to know what other people think. And other filmmakers are the most capable of articulating – where they see the gaps or the flaws, and it is that tragic gap, right? Those other Mm -hmm. filmmakers can give insights into how do you leap across that gap and go from the state of where you are now to where you want to be. Um, You become too disillusioned by the project when you spend a lot of time in it. You Mm -hmm. get the the curse of knowledge, you get desensitized Mm -hmm. to what the thing is. You think you're trying to say something, but you're not actually saying it. so, so I'm I'm going to jump yeah, in. On yeah, please. Now I'm, I'm just going on this ramble. I, but I, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. loving it. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm so loving it,
0: and and I'm I'm relating to an experience I think you were having before, where I said said a few things, and then it, it just it you know Flug just gates, popping. Just, yeah, yeah. Popping. Mm-hmm. Couple quick things. Yeah. I totally will relate to what you're saying yeah. right now because I am in the midst of writing a book to do April first. Cool. I've already handed in thirty five thousand words. I've got yeah. another thirty five thousand words. Oh my god. And, awesome. But that experience of exposing myself. Yeah. I don't know how I would do this without exposing myself to the editor. And right. every time I hand in a chapter, yeah. it's painful. Yeah. That's thing one. Uh, can, can I throw Yeah, please, please. Uh,
2: for me, that process <laughs> is no longer painful, and it's really, really fun. Yes. Because now... I've recalibrated such that this is part of the pro this is part of my process. And there's no ego attached. And this is where the film stands today. That's right. And how can you, whether you're you're a filmmaker, an editor, a friend, a stranger, how can you provide some insights to help make this a better thing? And yeah, well, I, I enjoy I, it so much now. I think you'll relate to this
0: when the writing is flowing for me it feels like I'm tapping into something that's actually larger than me. Yeah, yeah. And so having an additional perspective mm-hmm. on whether or not it's succeeding, mm-hmm. is it's like, it's like I put something out there. I may be the genesis or the catalyst for that, but then mm-hmm. we all stand back and we look at it. My editor, my agent, um, I, I was reading a chapter to, my, to one of my sons last week, you know, just getting his feedback and his feedback was amazing. He was spot on. Cool. And, and we all look at the material and we go, yeah, you know what? You know, change this here. Oh, that's right. And that
2: worked. Yeah. Right? Yeah.
0: So there's that. Then I, I want to step back mm-hmm. and reflect back again because what I'm hearing is something really powerful. In my experience in working with clients, whether they're in their 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s, 60s, I think that there's a fundamental belief that we all carry. And I often refer to it as up and to the right. We all believe that our life is supposed to progress up and to the right. So back there you are in high school. I'm going to be professional pianist, professional cyclist, professional photographer. There's an implicit, and if I follow these steps, ding, 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 it's good. But what I actually heard in your recounting of your story was something much more powerful and such, something much more organic. And therefore, unpredictable, Mm -hmm. right? When you were graduating high school, when you went to Stanford, it wasn't with the intention of becoming a filmmaker working on documentary films, speaking about impactful issues. I heard you opening yourself. I heard you having the the capacity to withstand not knowing Mm -hmm. what step... Maybe even the capacity to withstand your mother's fears because mm-hmm. all she wanted was for you to be right. happy, be right. an engineer, right. therefore you'll be happy right right yeah. being able to withstand all of that, yeah, to be able to say, "I'm going to find the mentors
2: mm-hmm.
0: which is really an important thing. The people who are going to help me navigate this twisty, windy path to landing in a place where I get to live out my purpose,
2: yeah. yeah.
0: Am I saying that? Yes, right?
2: absolutely. And I and I've had I've been very blessed to have really really great mentors, and we can you spend more. You have been th- blessed. I'm going to interrupt you on that. You have been blessed with the
0: capacity to open yourself up to mentors. Yes. Okay. Yes. Because mentors are there mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. Um, when the student is ready, the teacher yes, will appear. Yes. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jeff.
2: I went to a camp. When I was in high school, it called Camp Rising Sun. It's this youth leadership program in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. Um, it had a profound impact on me for for countless reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's part of the camp program is that every Saturday night, the campers sit around a campfire and mm-hmm. the elders in the community share some insights and wisdom. And there was one. Um, One talk that a friend of mine gave, a mentor gave, that has stuck with me for a really, really long time. And um, he was an incredibly skilled chess player.
1: Mm.
2: And he was drawing some analogies to playing chess and life. Mm. And this concept that he was sharing was a concept of a strategic retreat. Mm. And there are times in chess and in life where you're going down a certain path and you sort of hit a roadblock where you realize, oh, these moves that I was trying to make to do this thing aren't working out. I have to abandon that game plan and re-strategize and make a strategic retreat and take a different plan of attack. Mm-hmm. Now, I think sometimes, and certainly some entrepreneurs, think of those strategic retreats as failures. Absolutely, they think of it as, oh, we were trying to do. No, you have to stay the course. We had a mission. Put your head down. Keep fighting on this path. Man up. Man up. Suck it up. Right. And and just keep pushing through. And one day you'll break through. And mm. it's the wrong. It's just it never has resonated with me mm. in terms of like if you're constantly banging your head against the same wall, maybe you should just switch walls. Like that doesn't make sense. Right. And so that, that notion of a strategic retreat um, has been very applicable. I, I don't actively think of it that way because I actually feel like. If one course of action doesn't feel like the right course of action, just find the other thing that feels better. And for me, I find it very, very easy to pivot. Like Making pivots has been so simple across many things. Sometimes it's more challenging to have the whole team stay on board with the pivot when you're showing a new idea that the team might not necessarily have been on board with or Mm. is slowly warming up to. Um, So I don't think of it as a step sideways. I don't think of it as a step backwards. I actually think of it as, as of a retreat as a step forward. But as, it's strategic. It's strategic, but it's all adding towards this goal of how do we and part of it i don't i don't personally think of it as up into the right um i the, the, i think there are pro like nothing infinitely grows up into the right like Amen, nature brother. doesn't provide that Absolutely. right so there's that that doesn't resonate doesn't with me exist. it doesn't exist doesn't exist right and we we've created this economic model and this capitalist system around this thing that anyway that's it another is conversation false. it's so ugh, and constrained. so frustrating yes and so um for me it's like it, i would bring it back to that notion of quality with the capital q like what gets us individually or as a team back to something that is in pursuit of something we really believe in and that we're proud of and that we think is making a difference and is meaningful and is contributing to society and and resonates with your your inner heart and and if if those boxes are checked then i feel great with all of it like then then you're fulfilled mm. and you're 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 fulfilled and you're creating meaning. And I I, I hope, I I anticipate that I won't have that midlife crisis. I really hope that doesn't happen for me because I feel Mm. very content with all the things that we've been doing. I don't have regrets about what we were doing. Um, yeah, we can set up targets and goals and quarterly sprints. And what are we trying to accomplish on what timeline? And maybe we were late for a deadline and maybe, right. But, but in the scheme of things, if we're constantly moving towards making things better, that's all I can ask for. Well, I, well I'll speak as, as an elder in your life and maybe even a new mentor. Please, absolutely. Please. Yeah. Um,
0: what you have... Jeff, is resiliency. Mm -hmm. What you have implicit in that capacity to pivot Mm -hmm. is the capacity to resiliently recover Mm -hmm. and to shift, Mm -hmm. to organically amoeba-like, respond to the world as As it it
2: is. is. Right. Be in the present.
0: Be in the present. And that capacity is the Mm -hmm. capacity one needs with every existential crisis. Yeah. Right, I often start, we do these uh, multi-day boot camps, which one day you're coming on. Mm-hmm. I don't give a fuck what you do with yeah. your schedule. You're yeah, coming yeah. on one of our boot camps. And, and, you know, ostensibly they're about teaching leadership skills and all this stuff. But what it's really about, it's about your quote about being a better person. Mm-hmm. And one of the first talks we do is, this being so, so what? Which is Wait, about, say it again. This, I'll say it again, yeah. this being so, so, so what? It's kind of a bastardization of a Zen teaching, which is this is the world as it is. What will you do?
2: Right, right. Right? Mm -hmm. Can we pause, though? Please.
0: What was the name, at least the first name, of the chess playing Mm -hmm. mentor?
2: Uh, Chris, Chris Verone.
0: Can we just pause and honor
2: him? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Dear Chris, thank you. He's, he's been a consistent mentor and friend throughout my life. And as I've gotten older, we've become more compatriots and, you know, thinking about how can we collaborate? Can we work on stuff? Um, and he's been an incredible teacher. Um, and, and that, that council speech that he gave, like it, it has stuck with me. And I know many of my other friends as well. What's it been 12 years, 14 years? That, that he, 1999 is when he <laughs> gave that. Nin, I'm sure, 99 or 2000 oh, okay. is when I heard that speech. And and it has stuck with me for okay. quite a long time. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
0: There are these moments in our lives mm-hmm. where, like, an asteroid hits us mm-hmm. and sets us on a different trajectory. Yeah. And Chris's little talk by the yeah. campfire yeah. was one of those things that just went,
2: whoa. Absolutely.
0: Right. Would that all of us were able to be an asteroid for somebody? Or as one of my teachers, Trump Arun Pichet, used to say, mm-hmm. Coconut of wakefulness. Hmm.
2: Coconut May, of wakefulness. wakefulness.
0: May you be bombarded with coconuts of wakefulness.
2: I love it. Right?
0: If we could touch each other's lives with our stories, with our work, in such a way where we're setting each other on those courses that are directionally correct, even if it's incrementally progressive,
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: where we're helping each other, you know, before we started recording, I was describing a little bit about Reboot, and I said, you know, that part of our pursuit, part of our purpose, yeah, 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 we coach. That's our medium. Mm-hmm. But part of it is to, to overcome this belief system that work is in opposition to our actualization as human beings. Yes. Right? Work actually is a gorgeous medium. By which
2: we get to grow into that better person it's i don't look at it as work i look at it as like how are you spending your time and what do you want to do and if there's a way you can make money off of it so that that pays your bills that's Fucking great a. that's the goal right <laughs> that's the if, goal. if you can get paid to do the thing that you love to do right. that's the goal that's right and and i have plenty of friends it's it's always been this interesting struggle for me when i have friends who look at work as so separate that's they do this thing just for a job, just to make money to pay the bills. And then their non-work life is so completely different. And oftentimes, like, they just drink heavily at night and they party. And it's like, it's a break or it's a huge shift or huge swing to counterbalance, um, in some cases, dissatisfaction with the nine-to-five routine. Like, and plenty of people live that way. This is not a disparaging statement around that. That just doesn't work for me. And, and if that's... And unfortunately, I, I would say that a lot of people live that way. And that might be a function of our society that's been structured. And like, you have to, like, just to fit in society and to be, quote, successful, you need to make enough money to cover certain bases. And, and it's, it's challenging. It's not an easy thing to be able to pursue those life pursuits. It's not an easy thing for a musician to go out and like make a living doing the music that they love. There are more and more tools that allow for that. The internet has totally shifted that as well. Like you can be a professional musician through the internet and find happiness there while you're while you're doing your passion. But it's um, still hard. It's still hard. None of it's easy. But but people have done it, and you can do it. You, you don't. You might not know how just yet. But ask those questions and figure out the answers to those questions and figure out how do you make Navigate. those slow changes, make, make that navigation, that navigational shift to get you to the place where you can make a living doing that full time. Um, as an aside, so one of my closest friends from Stanford is a friend of mine named Jack Conti, um, who is a very talented filmmaker and musician. And Jack, um, when, when we were at Stanford, um, he had many opportunities available to, available to him, whether they were film or music. And he wanted to pursue being a musician and to make music. And um, he was going down the path and had a very successful channel on YouTube and it wasn't making, it wasn't paying his bills. Mm. And he actually had this idea um, for how can I open up the internet to allow people to support me as an artist. Mm. And that idea of how he can personally be sustained through his artwork led to him starting a company called Patreon. And the entire company, the entire platform of Patreon (laughs) is letting people do the thing that they love to do. And and I remember so firmly, like Jack's mindset in college was all he wanted to do was make music and make a living doing it. And that would be bliss. Like if he can just keep making music and get the bills paid, that would be... That's heaven. Like, that's the dream scenario. Yeah. And now, like, in following that pursuit for himself, he's actually now gone a yeah. level beyond that and created a platform that's allowing that same structure to exist for yeah. tens of th- hundreds of thousands of people that are able to do that for themselves. Yeah. And I don't know. It's just he has found this calling for himself that that works for him and for so many other people
0: well I, I, I love that story and I appreciate your sharing it and I, and I smile deeply at the notion that, that that's that that's the mm-hmm. connecting point because I'm a fan of patreon mm-hmm. what what occurs to me is that what your friend Jack did was found a way to use the strong back mm-hmm. of creating patreon of creating a container that made sense so that the content of his life can be lived in a way that was consistent with his values and his soul.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean,
0: that is it. And, and you know, least we be accused of a kind of Pollyanna uh, view here, I want to acknowledge that what we're both talking to is fucking hard. It is. <laughs> yes. Okay? In Buddhism yeah. we call it the pathless path. This mm-hmm. is the path that is your path to pursue. Mm-hmm. And 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 again for 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 a whole bunch of reasons you remind me of my, my client Ben, so I'm going to speak to the Polar Explorer again. Mm-hmm. I remember doing coaching sessions with him while he was on the ice
2: mm-hmm.
0: finishing Captain Scott's yeah. failed attempt. Yeah. Right. And as I would say to him, and he would complain. Mm-hmm. It was fucking cold. It was mm-hmm. 50 below zero centigrade. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. He was starving. He had to have a food rescue.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Disrupting the plan of, n- of being completely unsupported. They almost died. Mm-hmm. He had every right to complain. And I would say to him, you're trying to do something that no human being has ever done in history before. And you thought it was going to be easy? Right. Of course it's hard.
2: For me, the things that are most intriguing are the things that haven't been done before. Oh, yes. And, and there's innovation and there's creativity and the difficulty just comes along with the package. Of course this is hard. Nobody's done it before. Right? If this was easy, if we knew how to solve these problems, this wouldn't be a problem. And right now, it wouldn't now, be interesting. And it wouldn't be interesting. And it wouldn't be as, as fascinating. And um, I know for me, it is, it is uh, to some degree, it's like an intellectual pursuit and curiosity. But more than anything, it's like, what, what makes me tick? What makes our team tick? Like the, the new things that haven't been done are the most interesting and fascinating and compelling. Yeah, it's, it's, it's,
0: what occurs to me is that, you know, we were talking again before some of the recording, we we're talking about this sort of merger of right and left brain, and I related to it in saying, you know, I said, you know, I'm a former, you know, uh, employee of J.P. Morgan, I was a venture capitalist, I mean, and now I read poetry and I cry on camera, you know, kind of on cue, Um <laughs> And by the way, I usually make people cry. I think you're mm-hmm. going to get away without crying oh, in this episode. I close, got close
2: actually for yeah, a brief moment. Yeah, yeah. well, I did. All I have to say is, mom and dad,
0: and yeah. Pew, yeah. you know. <laughs> but that is where the most interesting juice yeah. of life is. Yeah, is in these intersections that are truest to us. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, in relating to you, I, I feel the similarity. I feel kindredness of. Mm-hmm. Um the sense of my inner and my outer being in sync. Mm-hmm. It's not to say I'm always proud of every step I've taken in my life, but I'll tell you a funny story. I was I was uh, once doing a talk, we, we were talking before about uh, Brad Feld, someone we both know here in mm-hmm. town in Boulder. I was doing a talk with Brad uh, in Denver uh, on depression and entrepreneurship. And of course, he's much better known than I am and um, uh, I enjoy that aspect of our relationship. And I was online for a cup of iced tea at one point and and um, we all had these name tags on and clearly everybody there was there to hear Brad, right? And so the guy in front of me is getting his tea and I lean over to him and I said, I hear this guy, Jerry Colon, is a real pain in the ass. He's kind of a blowhard. And he turns around and he and he's like looks at me quizzically. Then he looks at my name tag and he cracks up laughing. And he says, you're just like the guy on the podcast. And I said, <laughs> well, what do <did> you expect? <laughs> of course I'm just like that. But yeah. I didn't realize at the time, but I realized later that that actually was a high compliment to me. Mm-hmm. I always want to be just like that guy. Right. Yeah. I don't want somebody to meet somebody at... Online for iced tea and for them to say you're different mm-hmm.
2: yeah does that make sense uh, it, to- it totally does and it's it's interesting I'm, I'm in in doing this work now for the last few years i've had many opportunities to do a lot of public speaking and yeah. and we do countless q and A's we screen the movie and then we come back for a q and a or we do a panel or a conversation and um the, I've gotten more and more comfortable with them over time for sure mm-hmm. and uh, I would like to think that I'm very much myself on those panels and in those conversations mm-hmm. like that there's no different mm-hmm. version of me um, I sometimes have to be politically sensitive mm-hmm. in different audiences but uh, but aside from that like I'm just wanting to voice what's in my heart and the thoughts that are going through my head and I think um, you know I, I I personally have spent a lot of time thinking about the state of the planet mm. and about what we're doing to the planet and what climate, what climate change means to us as a civilization. And these are big, lofty, and scary thoughts mm. at times. Um, but figuring out ways to articulate and share that, and share that, um, it it's not in service to myself. It's in service to this greater cause and objective. To be sharing these thoughts and insights that my, myself or our team has been thinking through. So I, I'm completely with you. If you're that same person in the here in the podcast, or and like I feel like this is a genuine conversation this, with you. I feel like I'm meeting you. Right. There's no. There's no. There's other, no. Yeah.
0: Even though there's mics in front of us, yeah. there's actually no
2: filter. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. And and you know to to go to, to to round it back to you know a core question, and then maybe we'll wrap at this. Mm-hmm. A lot of people will come and say, I'm seeking purpose. Hmm. And what's interesting to me is I think that they're looking the wrong spot. Joseph Campbell once said yeah. that, 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 that people looking for purpose are really looking, I'm, I'm mangling his quote, are really looking for a feeling of aliveness. I would say that, I would add to that, that the aliveness comes from congruity. It comes from, from, from moving towards alignment where the inner and the outer express themselves. And you spoke before about friends who treat work as this separate thing Mm -hmm. and treat their life as this separate thing. And I think that when we live in the compartmentalized way that way, we're able to rape and pillage the planet Mm -hmm. because it's not actually part of us. right? Or we're able to uh, demonize other people because they're not actually us. Right? When we live in this compartmentalized way, there's all this pain and suffering that we mm-hmm. create. But when we open ourselves up to the danger and the risk of actually living in a way that is congruent, mm-hmm. what ends up happening is we naturally live into purpose. It's like what I often say is it's not the pursuit of happiness that, that, that should be the goal. It's the pursuit of equanimity. It's the pursuit of resiliency Mm -hmm. that then leads to a sense of directedness, Mm -hmm. a sense of clarity, right? You are probably already working on your next film, Mm -hmm. but you don't know what film you're going to be working on Mm -hmm. 10 years from now. No And you don't even know if you're going to be doing that (laughs) film. Yeah. And that's okay.
2: Totally okay. Um, Joseph Campbell also wrote quite a bit about bliss. Yes. And I think that's where like happiness and bliss are similar, but such completely different concepts in my mind. What does bliss Um, mean to you? I think bliss ties into that, like inner heart contentment and happiness. For me, it is, it ties into meditation in some ways, but it also ties into, like if you can carry your bliss with you on a daily basis, Mm -hmm. like that is living your purpose. It's different from pursuing happiness. Yes. Happiness, um happiness is an emotion that also has a counterswing on the other side of mm-hmm. sadness. And we, we have this false illusion that, Oh, you should always be happy, mm-hmm. which ignores the fact that you might feel sad at times and you mm-hmm. should feel sad at times, but you can feel bliss in both happiness and in sadness. You can feel bliss in pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. And, and that's like, that is a, a greater pursuit in some ways in my mind. And that, that bliss notion for me has been something that, it's a, it's a lower bar than happiness. It's an easier thing to attain in some ways. I, I find, I feel, um, I have. So I grew up in New York, and I have a bunch of friends who who live to in Staten the city. Island. Yeah, I grew up <laughs> born and raised in Staten Island, um, and and I have friends in the city who I think are struggling to find quote their purpose, as you said, yeah. and I think New York is a particularly difficult place to find. Quote purpose. Amen. Brother. It is. It is a place where, like, if you know what you want to do, there are a bunch of people that are doing that really well at a high level. <laughs> but it's a hard as hell place to find what you want to do. Um, for me, traveling the world
3: hmm.
2: has introduced me to more people and cultures and ideas and ways of living. Just to see different ways that people mm. live, mm. like that. You, you are so easily reminded, like you can choose the life path that you want mm. and you can find bliss and happiness in countless different ways in mm. different means in different parts of the planet. Mm. That's one of the things I enjoy about being in Boulder. Like there's such an eclectic group of people living different lifestyles. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like, you know, you go to go to the cup, go to try to go to any <laughs> coffee shop. You're going to meet dozens of people living completely different life trajectories and many of them having and contentment with the path that they are on. Yeah. maybe momentary bliss not you know if all in pursuit yeah. of that that consistent um, happiness there but um, that that's something where it's I don't know it's an interesting notion to try to find purpose mm-hmm. and I think I don't know maybe some maybe to some degree purpose finds you when yes. you're open and you're ready for it um, and it is being open and listening and being tuned to that where people can find that more easily. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. So just thank you for that. I, yeah. I, you know,
0: it, it's so beautifully said. Mm, thank you. And um, I think we we need to wrap. But I I just want to, from the bottom of my heart I want to say thank you. Well, thank you. Thanks. Not to only you. for yeah. this conversation, but for the work you do. Well, thank you.
2: I that uh, I, I, it matters. I I appreciate that. I I do believe that it matters as well. That's why I want to do it, and why our team is doing it. And um, we're doing it because we feel there's a need for it mm-hmm. and we're not doing it for accolades, but it's appreciated when, when there's gratitude. Yeah. So thank and, you. and, and your yeah.
0: willingness to come on the show and share yeah. from your heart, mm-hmm. uh, also matters. Yeah. And, thank you, And so thank you for that.
1: If you enjoyed this episode, go to reboot.io slash podcasts to listen to all five seasons of our podcast conversations. And leave us a review on iTunes. That's the best way for other people to find and enjoy the show, just as you have done. And don't forget to join our mailing list at reboot.io slash sign up so you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. How long till my
3: soul gets it right? I think that from my experience and the fact that I actually found a ginormous piece of myself that had been, um, neglected and, and really, um, missing for such a large part of my life that I can't imagine that there's any other experience that I could have had where I would have had the opportunity to find that or have been supported in this way to allow that to, to come to the surface and have that be part of my experience. And so I'm just going to put out there that I can imagine that there are many people who feel like that they've been trying a lot of things and and looking in a lot of places to find, if you will, the the happiness or the wholeness that a lot of us strive to find and, and feel. Mm-hmm. And um, there is no better way to be able to find that than to give yourself the opportunity to have the space, have the guidance, have the compassion and the nurturing and all of the resources that, that you would need to, to do this. Just have the courage to just jump in and, and call this a gift to yourself, uh, mm-hmm. one that you would never regret. I wish I could tell anybody who's like in that place of they're stuck and they're tired and they're scared and they're lonely. And you could name a thousand other emotions or feelings like I just wish that I could tell them that there is a way to see yourself through that. And yes, Mm -hmm. you have to walk through it and do the work. And there is something there for you that will bring you the most amazing life that you've ever had.
1: Are you in the midst of a major life change and feeling alone in the quagmire of feelings? Are you longing for more meaning in your personal or professional life? Or are you already in the midst of the turmoil and excitement of a business or role transition? The Reboot Quest is a truly one-of-a-kind experience. To support startup CEOs, founders, and leaders who are confronted with personal and professional questions that simply won't go away. You'll return with the more authentic self emerging, seeing more clearly your work to be done in the world. To learn more and apply for the Reboot
3: Quest, go to reboot.io slash quest.